Have you ever had that feeling of flow where difficult things become effortless and great parts of your life just seem to happen? My guest on the Reset podcast today is Paul Farina. Paul is the author of The Rhythm Effect and he tells you how to get your life into rhythm to lead others, to lead yourself and create high performance. I think you're going to enjoy it. Mr. Paul Farina. All right, welcome to the Reset Podcast, Mr. Paul Farina. Mate, is it good being you? It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Thank you, Luke. Uh, first time author um, and uh, having the book published, it's a fantastic feeling. It is a fan, it's an amazing sense of achievement, isn't it? Getting your, getting your first book out there because it's, it's, when you don't know how to do it, it's such a hard journey. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's really interesting for me that uh, my return on my own effort, which is something I talk about in the book, was actually really low when I started doing it because I'd never done it before. Yeah. Uh, so it's really interesting, but, it, but a great process and I really enjoyed it. Is that, what, did, did you feel as if it was a, an evolving thing or did you go into it and this is what the rhythm effect is and I want to tell <clears> about I, it or did it evolve as you were writing the book? Yeah, I had my frameworks, but when I actually started out, my intention was to really just talk about a part of it and I ended up talking about all of it. So it became a bigger project than what I originally uh, intended to do and <clears throat> I went a lot deeper than my initial intention as well um, into, into the concepts and to really explain them out and to, to, to thrash it out. Because as I went through the process, it almost felt a bit incomplete with what my initial intention was going to be. So that was the story behind that. So t- tell me about the rhythm effect. What, what is it and, and, and why do I need it? So I've done a lot of work in high performance and high performance cultures and uh, whether that was speaking or training or motivating and those sorts of things. But when I really looked at what I was presenting, I felt it was actually really theoretical. It's quite academic. And I thought that there was an extra layer that I could add in uh, communicating these sorts of things. So I did a bit of self-reflection on when I was at my best, when I was in those high performance cultures and what was happening and my reflection. You've got a, a, a long history in professional sport and things like that, which you, obviously high performance is massively important in that. That's right, yeah. So I played quite a few various sports and I coached in a few, few sports at either state level or even national level in juniors and um, I ended up being better at cricket than anything else. And so I was a semi-professional cricketer for about four or five years and that took me over to the UK on a few professional contracts and I played a bit of representative stuff as well for some um, for some counties so that that was that was my uh, my experience in that realm and quite frankly I'd played at the highest level I could from the age of six years old all the way through to about 24 25 mm-hmm. and that was my reflection as a fast bowler you basically need to bowl the ball to the size of an A4 piece of paper at about wow. 150 k's an hour with every part of your body just in pure force going towards that that uh, the towards the batsman did you have some mongrel in your Paul as a, as a fast bowler did you have a bit of grunt in you 
Uh, I don't think I was the nicest guy you've ever come across <laughs> when I was when I was on the field. Um, having said that, when you play, every fast bowler's got to have a little bit of mongrel in him. Though, yeah, you it? do, you do, and I, I re- actually refer that to. Uh, in the book as, as tenacity. So uh, Stephen Pressfield might talk about it as stubbornness, you know, the stubbornness of not willing to give in, not willing to stop. Uh, and, and you could call it mongrel as well. The interesting thing about that is that when you're trying to bowl fast and you're trying to bowl accurate, if there's any form of tension in you, whether that's mental, whether that's emotional or whether it's physical, you simply will not perform better. And that's what a lot of us tend to do. We work harder. We go for more power. We, we, it's all good intention. But actually what happens is we, we fully tense up and our ability to execute goes down. So this brought me to the idea of when was I in the moments of, of pure, almost pure perfection? It was when I was in rhythm. And, and then I started to explore, well, what is rhythm? What is it and, and, and what are the components of it? That took me to the performance base. And then when I was delivering to leaders and to, to organizations, I really looked at, well, how can leaders actually look at that performance and understand it for their own benefit, but then promote it into their teams and into their organization? And that's the, the, the ripple effect, getting all, uh, sorry, the, it's like a ripple effect, the rhythm effect. Yeah. Um, and and that's, the, that's the premise of the book. Right. So it's, it's about sort of, well, I guess when everything's going in the, in the same direction and everything's in, you know, in line with itself, then it's in rhythm. Um, That's right. If you've ever watched me dance, um, (laughs) I don't have the rhythm effect. uh, I I wrote a book on stress and nothing is more stressful to me than, than trying to dance and thinking someone might actually be watching me. Yeah, Um, that's right. right. And and it it, it always goes back to what you're saying about the fast bowling too, because the more I try and dance in rhythm, the worse my rhythm gets. Yeah. So is, is it almost trying to have enough knowledge that you know what you're doing and then just let, let the body and let the mind go and do what it does? Yeah, so I think that where I spend uh, all of my time, whether it's in my training programs, and of course I talk about it in the book, is uh, how do we build the proficiencies to get to this place of rhythm? Because really right. what rhythm is, is uh, it's, it's, it's a currency of return on effort. For the amount of effort I'm going to put in, I'm going to maximise how much I put out. And at the end of that, or, or the vehicle to that, is going to be, am I synchronised? So when you're dancing, your feet are maybe not synchronised with the with the music and with your heartbeat and, and these sorts of things. So, yeah. Synchron- oh, you've seen me dance. So, um, <laughs> yes, I'm terrible. I'm sure plenty of people can empathise and don't worry, I've had my moments as well. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, and, and this is the point, is actually in our workplaces, there's this lack of synchronisation with our own workflows, with the people that we work with, with the processes, the products that we're launching or, or how they sync with each other, the tools that we use. Uh, these, these are maybe not working well together. Our return yeah. on effort is severely brought down. So I guess when you when you return on effort, if your effort, some of them are fighting each other and sort of pulling in different directions, yep. then you're putting in a lot more effort, like when you're trying to bowl really fast in your tens. But once that, so you're saying the rhythm effect is kind of like that everything's sort of flowing in the same direction. So very, very you're not much. trying to swim upstream. Everything's just sort of going with the flow of the current. 
Yeah, that's right. So if you look at Mahali, Chick Mahali's uh, flow and flow state that, that he's obviously... I'm so impressed that you world. can actually say that name. It's a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he talks about the flow state where fundamentally we're twice as productive when we're in this state where time just seems to go, but we're super engaged. That's really what it's all about is being engaged. And uh, then McKinsey did a study on this and, and, and found that if we only spent 15 to 25% more of our time every week in, uh, in that state, then our overall productivity would, would uh, more than double. So if wow. you think about that in real terms on even just what you did last week, and then you think, well, if I did double that, um, that would be a good thing, right? But yeah. you know, that doesn't necessarily mean, well, instead of doing a 40-hour week, I need to do an 80-hour week. And that's really at the base of, of what I'm talking about here. And I came across a really nice story of Jihadi uh, Turetsky. That's one that I haven't got my tongue around yet. He was the Australian swim coach around about 1992. So if you think of the Klims and yeah. the Thorpedos. Yeah, Armstrong, you know, or is that a bit before that? Uh, I think he was a bit before, actually. Yeah, um, old, he, I know. He, <laughs> he was this Russian guy that uh, got recruited over to Australia and actually Alexander Popov, who was the uh, Russian mm -hmm. sprinter at the time, he actually yeah. came and trained with the Australian team at the same time. Right. Very, very weird. Um, the start of the 90s, we're talking just after the Berlin Wall come down and end of the Cold War, so it's only not that long after that. That's right. So I think we're talking Barcelona games, that sort of thing. Right, sort of yeah. And his whole premise, because he had an engineering background, and he actually had this premise that at that time, swimming was all about power. The more power you have, the quicker you go. And that's whether you're a sprinter or you're, you're doing long distance. They're probably and just uh, from Russia too. They've probably just come off the back of everyone shooting up and roided <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. So power seemed like it was... The winning formula didn't it yeah and like you say cold war like the americans are doing the same thing as us it's all power 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 that's where the, all the coaching was at and like anything in high performance there's only so much pure fitness you can do before you start to go over the other edge you know it yeah. starts to become a problem and you, you start introducing fatigue and all, all other issues so he started this training regime where he, where he started to look at how the technique changed from power to and going through the water to gliding over the top of it right and so so he changed the metric from power to body weight to energy consumption to body weight right. and then and then that's where we get our speed from and that worked just as well for the sprinters as it did for i think kieran perkins might have won the gold medal that's in right that's right so if you youtube alexandra popov who won uh, i think he won a couple of gold medals over two uh, two different Olympics uh, for the 50-metre sprint, his stroke is so slow and so relaxed. Right. And this, this is rhythm. When you see someone dancing or you see a sports player and they seem to have a lot of time, they seem yeah. to be going quite slow. Like maybe in a cricket term, you might think of Ricky Ponting. He just I was exactly who was coming to my mind. He yeah. always seemed to have that extra half a second before the That's ball. That's right. That's right. Now, it's, it's, it's quite um, alchemical. But, yeah. that, but, but that was my, that was really the path I was on. Right. What are the skill sets? What are the things we can learn that gets us to that point where we have more time, we slow time, yet things come really really easily to us and actually we set ourselves up to be in a place of calm particularly during crisis as well which i think we can all 
use a bit more of that. <laughs> so how do we get how do we get into that sort of rhythm? How do we get into that flow? Because we've all felt it that um, that flow that felt like the Russian guy's name again, Makili. I could never say it. <laughs> uh, it is Mahali. Yep. Shits Mahali. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of cheating a little bit. There's a little section in the middle. <laughs> but it's but I've the- always wanted because I, I read the book and I love the book, but I could never say the guy's name. It really depressed yeah. me. Um, <laughs> so, but every now and then you find yourself in that flow and it feels unreal. But I, I, I really struggle to be able to consciously get into that thing. Is there some things that we can do that can actually get me into that, into that flow state when I want to? Yeah, so I think that the quick hack is to reflect on those times that you got into that flow state and look at the uh, environmental things that are around you. What was the setup? Um, Maybe it could be chronological. Some of us work better in the morning. Some of us work better in the afternoons. Maybe some of us work better at two o'clock in the morning. So it could be chronological. Um, It might be social as well. You might have someone around you. Like I know when I play golf, there's a friend of mine. When I play golf with him, I play really well because He's just got a calming effect on me. When I play golf with some other mates, I play awful. So it might be something social as well. And um, then it might be the type of work, certain tasks as well. And it's not to say, well, if I do that task really well, then only do that task. But just start to understand what is it I enjoy about that task and start to tap into that for other tasks. So Yeah, okay. So look at little parts of it. And I, I really enjoyed what I, the feeling I get out of that. How can I get that similar feeling out of do, doing this other thing that I perhaps don't like quite as yeah, much? Yeah, because, because that flow state, it's biological, it's psycho- psychological, it's, it's um, social, it's biochemical. You know, there's a lot going into it. So to unpack that, is 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 a huge thing we don't want want that for people we want to be easy so what i've just mentioned to you there are, are four or five triggers that you can quickly reflect on and then look at what they are and start to implement them for whatever context you're doing your work in so that's the quick hack okay to get into flow state flow state by itself um, is difficult to repeat. So what is it that we can do to repeat that flow state on and on and on and on and get into this cycle of momentum? And that's really what rhythm is. And to break that down, there's technique. The technical I love that, that are- sentence, a cycle of momentum. It's, you know, it, it's a fantastic way to describe it. Yeah, at, at, the, at the top of rhythm, when we, when we have the rhythm effect, when we are leading rhythm and we have that synchronisation just bred into our culture, then really ultimate not only are we getting progress but progress is coming at at an accelerated rate so actually off the back of those cycles of momentum we're getting acceleration and that's really what we're going to see in 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 the tangibles of of our work there's beauties in that too i've been reading a lot about a guy called andrew huberman from stanford and he's talking about the fastest way to get your stress hormones down is to get small wins along the way little hits of dopamine actually buffer your your stress response that can actually keep you going and keep you in that zone a little bit longer as well. So yeah. noticing your small wins along the way can be, a, can be a bit of a way to do that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Absolutely. So, and that's why, that's why starts are so important. Uh, Dan Pink talks about this in his book, When, you know, the start of your career, if you start your career during a recession, then that actually makes your career progress for the next 10 to 20 yeah, years. Yeah, I read that in that book and it was, yeah. but 
it actually gave them some other skills that they then and they they catch up a little bit later because they they then develop skills that the ones that started easy didn't get. It was a, that's right. That's I think right. So it's, he graduated from law school right at the start of a recession. I think back in the eighties, and uh, yeah, it was a it was an amazing story that one. Yeah, and, I, and as you say, adversity is not the worst thing in itself, um, but it doesn't give us that hit, hit of dopamine you're talking yeah. about. So those Mark Manson wins says and- the same thing in um, the um, what is it? The book about giving an F. Um, yeah, he everything everything's rubbish or everything's bad or you know, yeah. one of those. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of life changing magic, but that was a different one. But he said the same thing. He came out and um, when the GFC hit and, and ended up. You know, couldn't get a job in whatever he wanted to do and ended up writing gazillion selling books. So mm. um, there's a little bit of a, like it's nice to have that leg up and that small win, but sometimes the, the adversity can go the other way and you can, but that's rarer though, I think. I, I think you're much better off to get the small wins early on. Yeah, and that's right. I mean, ultimately when things are tough and there is no feeling of momentum, you're feeling a lot of uh, friction, then, you know, as you say, we've got to get some small wins, we've got to get some forward movement. That, that's what creates the momentum. So the thing is about building rhythm and, and what I set out with this body of work was to make it super practical because I'm, I'm a bit of a nuts and bolts guy. I was always a frontline manager. Um, I was always the one that was loading up the boxes of the products and those sorts of things. Um, and... Yeah, of course, you know, I, I, well, it's not, of course, I come from a commercial background as well. So, you know, sales targets, revenue, you know, these, these realities of business was something that I was um, exposed to at the pointy end for, you know, sort of 20, 25 years of my career. So what was really important for me is to take this very conceptual idea of rhythm and give practical, implementable tools yeah, of how, do, how do, do, that do we build it. Um. In, I've, I've owned, I'm halfway through the book at the moment. Thoroughly enjoying it too. It's great, great, really good. Congratulations on it. So, Paul, if you if you get this book, it has a lovely style of reading that just basically sounds like you're having a conversation with you, um, which is really nice. So, so thank you, thank you. That's that's lovely feedback. Some some of the best feedback I've got is from some of my friends who uh, who have read it and and they said. Um, Paul, I've known you for years. I didn't. I didn't know some of that stuff about you, which is, which is quite cool, you know. So yes, I do do a lot of personal sharing, and um, if it reads well, I'm very happy to hear that. That was certainly my intention. So. But it has that. It has that nice combination that that sort of yin and yang of the warmth and the stories, and then the practical things, and then you know, tick these four boxes, and it'll get done. But there's a warmth about why why you tick those four boxes, and yeah, and you combine those two things really, really well. Thank you. Thank you. And, and actually, that's you've summed up exactly what I try to achieve whenever I'm doing one on one work with anybody or or speaking to a group. So that's that's exactly the intention. So that's wonderful. How do you feel like, you know, going so deep into into a per, into a topic like this? Do you feel it's helped you and get better to teach other people when you're out doing coaching and when you're doing it? Could you do a lot of training and stuff with corporates and things like that? Yeah, I like it's helped a lot with that. I, I probably, if anything, I, I share my own experience too much with this, I would say. But it's, it, it has. I've, I've put myself through my own framework many, many times. And this is the beautiful thing about sharing this. <clears throat> I am not the master of rhythm. 
you know, I, I have not, <laughs> Me I, you know, I, I, it, it is a, it is a, it is a big undertaking. Uh, something like flow that we just spoke about. I think that you can get yourself into flow this afternoon. Whereas to achieve rhythm, that's more of like a, 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 a one, Ongoing. a three, a five, a 10 year project. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And with that, do you incorporate things like sleep and downtime? And I, lo- I love the concept. I've been working with kids a bit lately and, and like particularly year 12 kids. And one of the things I'm, I'm really trying to drill home to them is that they've got to have deliberate procrastination. Yes. That when they're not working, they've got to be deliberately not working and not worry that they aren't working and to actually enjoy it and sort of empty their stress bucket a bit so that when they do get back on the tools and hit the books again... <laughs> They're firing on all cylinders. So, something I didn't realise about the rhythm effect was that actually when I go through it and talk about it with people like yourself, what I've actually realised is that um, a lot of the book and a lot of the conversations I have with my clients are around reflection. Okay. So exa- exactly what you're talking about. So being able to discuss, being able to observe, being able to get curious on what has happened? What are my patterns? What are we promoting? Uh, these things are uh, very much central to how we do achieve the rhythm effect. So I talk about the technical skills. I talk about the analytical skills. I talk about the social skills. But to really interact with that, we need to be able to do a lot of reflecting, which is exactly what you're talking. So that power game constantly going and going harder and faster like a, a, a motorboat down a down, down river. Or trying harder again. And, exactly. And, and, you know, he's not, he just goes slower. Exactly. I exactly. with golf as well. If, if you play golf, if you really try and hit it hard, you don't hit it hard. Ernie Els had a lovely right. thing about that. He used to say, the harder I want to hit it, the, the smoother I need to swing it. Yes. And yep. I really like that concept. Yep. I can, I can certainly empathise that with myself. The, the more tense you get, my rule with playing golf, I need to have a smile on my face the whole time. Yeah. You know, as soon as I get grumpy, it's downhill from Your there. So. Gone. Rhythm's going to, I have no opportunity to get into rhythm. Yeah, I've robbed myself of the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, that's okay. So where, where to from now? Are you, are you sending the rhythm method out to companies all around the place? Or tell, tell me what you're doing with it now. <laughs> It's, it's been super exciting. So I'm, um, I'm, I do a lot of work with either do manager mentoring or, or executive coaching. Um, and that's a, that's a big chunk of my work. So that's really going one-on-one, like conversations like this, digging into what are those technical areas of, of improvement? Where are we not clear on the analytical side? So why we're doing things, what we're doing, how we're doing it? Because rhythm is about, getting into rhythm is just as much about decision-making and having clear decision-making and then clearly being able to communicate that as well as anything else. And then the social aspects, which for me really brings the other two alive. So, you know, how we display ourselves, how we actually are thinking through our days and where we're prioritising our our effort. Um, So, yeah, I do a lot of work one-on-one. I think that's the richest work that I do because we really get down into the... I really love that too. There's something awesome about, you know, I've got a a whole wall covered in whiteboard and we sit down and have a chat and then we end up filling a whiteboard full of stuff. And there's something really good about one, the, the person who you're coaching, letting you into their world mm. who actually, you know, two heads are better than one and think about how they do it. But it's a, you know, there is a rhythm to coaching, isn't there? That 
you've got to be able to sort of both get in the same way and there are occasional times when that doesn't work and the coaching is really ineffective. So finding that rhythm effect as a coach, both in sports and in with corporates would be a, a really important thing. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and, and like you said before, you know, I'm constantly reflecting on my own frameworks here and, and moving up that chain of getting more and more rhythm and being in more and more rhythm. And it's, it's really exciting, actually. And the beautiful thing about it, just like in the flow state, it feels really good. It feels great. It's a happy place where your shoulders are relaxed. You see people are responding to you, are in sync with each other. There's a, there's a, and what, what you were just talking about then, if I was to summarize that, is there's a lot of trust. There's a, there's a deep trust that forms in the relationship. Now, if you're a leader, and that's really at the pinnacle of being able to achieve synchronization, is that there's deep trust. And what does that even mean? I think that we, it's a bit of a throwaway word, but really what it means is that I trust that when I turn around and I go to go to open that email, that the report's going to be in there on time. It's going to be filled out correctly. It's going to be easy for me to read. When I go to um, step into that meeting, I trust, I trust in myself that I've done the preparation, that I, I have the schedule, that I'm prepared for the awkward or complex uh, people or conversations that are going to come at me. So, you know, th- once again, this is a beautiful, this is a really nice feeling. And there are huge amounts of variables out there that are, for some reason, just trying to knock that trust out of us and out of our out of our group. So to have a framework of, of the rhythm effect to fall back on and reference back on all the time, I think there's a lot of value in that as well. So yeah, t- trusting ourselves, that creates that belief. Uh, we're able to then show and role model what that looks like and then be able to pick it up. So in a coaching uh, relationship, it's exactly the same. After working with someone, I actually just finished yesterday with someone I've done a 12-month program with where he's a department manager and he's stepping up into a, into a board level sort of executive level role for the first time. And... <clears throat> excuse me, the growth in this guy over the last 12 months is great. And at the end of our last session yesterday, he said, Paul, you know what? I really want to keep working with you. It's been great. But you know what I really want to do? And I was like, what's that? I said, he said, I really want to go for a beer with you sometime. And I want to talk about you a bit more. In our sessions, we're always talking about me. I want to, I want to talk about you. I want to get to know you a bit more. I was like, dude, that sounds amazing. You know, and, and and to have a client relationship like that, I mean, that's worth celebrating more than anything else. So, yeah, that, the, the one-on-one work's fantastic. Of course, I mean, I'm a, I'm a social beast at heart. So being in front of a group of people, working with a group of people, having a lot of laughs, getting those moments of learning, being able to have difficult and awkward situations and facilitate that, I mean, really, that's also... Um, it, 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 that, that for me, there's a lot of value in that. So it's not only in learning the stuff, the content, but also uh, providing experience where people connect and uh, and also create those relationships. So it's kind of multi-layered there as well. So I, I super enjoy that stuff as well. Yep. So if, you, if you're in a company and you felt like there was that little bit of pulling and people being not in synchrony and moving in different ways and a lot of effort going in and not a lot happening, then then getting you into into work and uh, having a chat about the rhythm effect could be something that works really well. Well, the thing is, is that once again, the content, it's in the content. So uh, in the technical skills of leadership, I do talk about being able to have 
effective meetings, being able to have effective conversations. And if we're not doing this, then there's a lot of unsaid stuff out there that is creating a lack of belief, hesitation, doubt, and of course, is undermining trust. So we talk about it in the content, but of course, in the experience of learning, I am 300% up for having that conversation. I will facilitate the difficult conversation because you know what happens afterwards? Everybody just breathes. Yeah. yeah. And everyone feels great afterwards. And then we do create those connections and we're able to then once again have that opportunity to create our rhythm effect in our, in our work culture. I've had a couple of guests on the podcast. One was Corinna Moore, who is, a, is another thought leader is in the same yes. group that we're in. Yes. And um, her, her thing for that was she wanted to not use the word difficult conversations. Yeah. All right. And I thought that was a lovely start. And another, another thought that I know Peter Muller describes difficult conversations as a way to build unity. And I think that's what you're saying there, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. That sort of being able to breathe after you've, after you've had that conversation that you're probably a little bit anxious about having, just that stress goes away and I've dealt with that now. Yeah. I, I, I spend, it takes an element of bravery, doesn't it? But it's a bravery that really does pay off. Yeah. I, I spent about 10 years as a corporate manager not being able to have those conversations and it was, it was debilitating. Was it there was, a penny drop moment where you said, I'm just going to have it or? Yep. Where, where did that change from being not able to have that and having the tension? <laughs> I, 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 at one point, I was, I was that typical person who was working 60 plus hours a week, um, not, not getting the results in. Uh, I, I felt like <clears throat> I was a, between a rock and a hard place. I was managing up, I was managing down. My team didn't feel protected or looked after by me. And uh, the, the higher ups didn't feel like I had control of my team or that I was, I was um, you know, doing what I needed to do. And I wasn't sleeping. I was turning to, to food and alcohol and I was overweight. I was feeling, you know, my confidence was going down. And even at one point I was getting physically sick as well. And and it sounds like the fast bowler trying to bowl faster by using bigger muscles, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. And in my life, I've seen this time and time again where people just good, hardworking people with good intention work themselves to the bone and they've really only got two levers to pull. The defaults are work harder, mm -hmm. work longer. Yeah. Now, what happens when those two things don't work? Yeah, you end up with a flat spot in your forehead and you're exhausted. We're knackered. So I was repeating what I saw other people doing and then that was my light bulb moment. I said, there's got to be a better way. And like I said, I reflected on when I was at my best and it was the same in, in my corporate sales and marketing roles. I had times when I reckon I was working like a 20-hour week right. and I was getting double-digit growth. Yeah, okay. Why? Because I had those relationships and I was able to have those, what Corinne wouldn't call difficult conversations, you know, and I, 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 another I, word was, for it. I, I was, I was super clear on why I was doing what I was doing, what the strategy was, how I was going to execute it and how I had to, the behaviors that would help me to do that. And there wasn't one thing in my job I couldn't do. I had the knowledge. So I didn't have any doubt. point, isn't it? Because so often, so often not quite knowing how to do something just gives you inertia. It just makes yeah. you not do anything. I don't know how to do it, so I don't do anything. And 
And so I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example, a really simple example. Um, I worked with the manager of a luxury uh, business, and um, she walked into a team who were a rabble. It was it was a mess. That infighting. There was a lot of protectionism between uh, the the sales associates. Um, it wasn't a happy place. When I came and worked with that team, I, I uh, did a team program with them. Uh, this manager, uh, within in, in the first fifteen minute break, about an hour and a half in, came and cried on my shoulder. Right. Literally, she she was very very. Um, capable, confident, had a great career, but she'd walked into a bit of a mess. And we did the team program, so we gave them the language, we gave them the the, the framework so that they, they were all on the same page. And then we followed it up with a mentoring program, just me and her working one-on-one. Now, when we talked about the technical elements of what are the things that your team are not doing? The basics, we call them basics. What are they not doing that you really want them to do? And within sort of 20 minutes, we came up with three. One of them, and it just stands out in my mind because it's one of these simple things that makes such a huge difference. She was really unhappy with how her team were using the calendar function in their in their outlook. So what was happening was... Uh, some of them were doing it the old way, some of them doing it their own way, some of them were doing it her way. And it just meant that, like, she couldn't organise stuff. She was having to have four or five extra conversations with individuals over the course of a week to try and check out what what's happening and how can we organise this, when's it, that meeting going to happen. Talk about friction. You know, talk about working hard for a low return. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Get everyone up to speed with how to use the calendar, and you've yeah. So we out. had we had the calendar, and we had two other small things I can't remember off the top of my head. And I said, right, between now and the next time I see you in about four to six weeks, you will talk about those three things individually to everyone in your team. You'll repeat it in the team meeting, and you're going to repeat it again and repeat it again and repeat it again. Right? You're going to talk about these three things until not only have they learned that, oh, she's serious about this and we really have to do it, but also to the point where they're practicing it and then they actually become autonomous. They do it with And they understand why they're doing it as well. Yeah, 100%. That's right. So what happens? We come back six weeks' time. How did you go with that? And, of course, like all my clients, I prompt them throughout and in between sessions all the time and keep the communication high and support where I can. But, you know, we came back six weeks later and it was almost not a talking point. It was like, of course that was done. Yeah, that was done really, really well. And it just, it literally, I, we did a calculation. I said, well, yeah, how much, how much effect did that have on your, your own working work? Let's talk about you. We calculated that it saved her five to seven hours a week. Wow. In just, just dealing with things. mess. Yeah, just dealing with mess. So we talk, we talk about basics, but it's not basics. And if I'm going to come back to a, a, a cricket analogy around that, is uh, the, the ability for a batsman to watch the ball onto the bat. Now, uh, I listened to an interview with Justin Langer, and he said that they actually got some scientists to come down to their training to, like, they, they shine lasers into the eyes to see where, where the batsman's eyes is actually looking. I'm an optometrist, mate, so I understand. Okay, that. great, great. I'm, t- I'm talking, I'm talking your, your biz. Great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Justin Langer and Ricky Ponting. Out of the whole Australian squad, those two 
were the only two batsmen that actually watched the ball hit the bat. So if you think of what a batsman does, that their, their job is to hit the ball. Mm. Yet, of course, the ball's coming very quick. And what they're doing is, is the eye is staying about a metre or two in front of where they hit the ball. And then they're basically just hitting it through feel or where they think the ball is going to be. Now, we call that basic, but once again, that that's probably a decade worth of training of every single time they go to training, Ricky Ponting's thinking, watch the ball onto the bat. And that's why he has that extra half a second and feels like he's in flow and feels like he has the rhythm effect and has the time. So it's basic, but it's anything but. And I think all of us, and once again, we were talking about reflection before. Hey, and and I I use this in the social aspects of the, the rhythm effect is humility, audacity, and tenacity. We need to have... These three things, so super strong. Audacity and tenacity. Love yeah, it. that's right. And so we need to have humility in our in our reflection as well. To honestly say, well, you know. What aren't I doing well as well? We, we've got we've got high-earning high professionals in our team that aren't using a calendar function correctly. Let's all just be humble enough to call that out yeah. and talk about it and sort it out because, I, unfortunately, we live in a – or fortunately, whichever way we want to look at it, but we live in a complex world, and I think that we our, our solutions to that complexity is to add more complexity. Yeah. And what I, what I'm proposing here is to just strip it back. So at the end of the rhythm effect, you really should have one to three technical things you're working on. You should be honing that analytical stuff. I, I talk about the five five M framework, and that's in the book. People can read about that. And then those three those three aspects: humility, audacity, tenacity. Now, if you've got three or four things from each, uh, in total, from each of those pillars that you're working on for a three-month period until you master them and you get the team mastering them and synchronising in that, that's all you need to do. Less is more. Less is more. We've heard heard this before. Mate, it's been fantastic talking to you again. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying the book and can't wait to get my teeth into the second half. But uh, if anyone wants to get the Rhythm Effect, we can definitely get it on Amazon. Where else can we find it? Yeah, so if you go to uh, therhythmeffect.com, all the information, all the synopsis and what's in it and who's it for, all that stuff is there. And the list of stockists is there as well. Um, And then for for me, if you want to learn a bit more about me and what I do and my work, it's paulfarina.com.au. We've got all sorts of information and tools and diagnostics on there as well. Paul, it's been fantastic talking to you and good luck giving people the rhythm effect. Thank you so much, Luke. Really enjoyed it.